Thank you, brother. All right, just give everybody a second to head on out for the, that special class. <clears throat> Good to see each one of you here this evening. And uh, just always uh, a joy to be in the Lord's house. Um, I don't know about you this morning, just once again, it was just, just such a blessing just hearing the, the congregational singing, the choir, the, the special number with the young people, the orchestra, um, and even Pastor Burgraff did a good job. Uh, I mean, honestly, we were just so blessed. I, I just sit there and just marvel at just how wonderful God's been to this church and just so many folks who participate in different ways like that, but just, wow, what a joy. So, um, it's a, always an honor to stand in this pulpit, and um, tonight, uh, that's a topic we're going to be looking at, don't waste your illness. I have to uh, confess here to start off with, um, I stand before you in fear to preach this message. I'll explain why. Years ago, while we were still in France, one Sunday morning, I was, well, I was preaching through the book of Genesis, and one Sunday morning I got to the passage on Joseph and how it was God's plan for him to experience some incredibly difficult trials. So all you know, the story of Joseph thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, uh, then spending 13 years in prison as an innocent man. And my premise in looking at that particular story at that Sunday morning was that just like Joseph did, we need to, to accept God's sovereign will for our lives, even when it takes us down paths that we never would have chosen for ourselves. Well, I finished the message, thought I did an all right job, uh, you know, underlining that uh, particular thought, and wouldn't you know that before that day was over, I found myself in the hospital with a broken, severely broken jaw, um, eventually with my mouth being wired shut for weeks. Um, kind of a frustrating condition for a preacher, right? And uh, so you can understand then why I hesitate tonight to preach about our need to accept God's will when he allows sickness in our life. And doesn't choose to heal us. So if you want to check on me later tonight and see if I'm still <laughs> out of the hospital, that will be a good sign. But um, all right, let's see if we can get this thing working here. So that said, in the way of introduction, it is a fact that it is neither God's plan nor his promise to heal everyone of every disease while we are in this body. Now, honestly, it's pretty remarkable how many times every person here has been healed from all kinds of injuries and diseases, right? When we think back over our lifetimes, um, it's fantastic just how many times God has allowed us to recover from all kinds of situations and, and serious, you know, physical matters, um, but let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just to kind of 
introduce the thought here for tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, reading in verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. And I hope you're ready to, to uh, travel through your Bibles a little bit tonight. We're going to make good use of them, okay? So uh, you have most of the references in your notes. Some of the references you might need to add. But as much as you can, try to follow along with the different passages as we read them because that's really what matters, right, is what God's Word says. So 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. That's the truth, right? There's the reality. Though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up by life. Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And so the Bible makes it clear that while we're in this tent, in this tabernacle, yeah, we groan. <laughs> and all of us have various reasons to groan, right? As we await that day when we put off this tabernacle, this earthly tent, and put on immortality. What a glorious day that will be, right? Um, but in those cases, when it is not God's will to heal us, what do we need to understand to make sure that we do not waste our illness? I thought that maybe that sounds like an odd phrase, okay, not to waste our illness. I actually stole it from uh, another missionary in France who uh, preached a similar message, but I thought it was well, well phrased. Now, I need to give an important caveat, okay? I truly do not want to seem insensitive to anyone who is currently sick, or injured, or recovering from surgery. And the intent of this study is not in any way meant to minimize or trivialize in any way what any person here or listening on, on video may be suffering or to minimize how difficult the situation that you're facing might be. Um, this message simply seeking to provide perhaps another and hopefully biblical perspective to this really important matter that concerns all of us at some point in our lives, right? If we're not too worried about it at this particular moment, just wait a week or two, <laughs> and uh, we'll have another reason to be concerned about our physical health. And so let's jump into it. And what we'll look at is, in the notes, I kind of phrased it in a, a negative way, I guess, the different main points. On the screen, I rephrased it into a positive Notation. If you want to actually write that in your notes then. but So, number one in your notes, we waste our illness if we do not see that it is part of God's plan for us. Or, positively stated, illness is part of God's plan for us. Oh, 
Okay, that maybe already is a little surprising. Um, but ask ourselves a question. When we get sick, when we fall ill, or when we get injured, is God still in control? And I'm sure everybody here, all those who know the Lord, would give an emphatic yes to that, okay? Can and does God's will sometimes include us going through serious illness or injury, which may or may not be healed? The question still is yes. A couple examples, uh, in case there's any hesitation you're thinking about that. In Hebrews 11, you don't necessarily turn there for this passage, but in Hebrews 11, if you remember that passage, it's the list of heroes of the faith. And it's an amazing chapter, right? But right in the list of those heroes, um, some of whom did receive miraculous healing and deliverance of all kinds, but right in the midst of that chapter, when it's giving examples of different heroes of the faith, it states this, Still others had trials of cruel mockings and scourging, They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And these were heroes. They weren't lacking in faith. They're included in the chapter to show that they had lots of faith in God. But it was God's plan for them. Just like it was God's plan for certain to be delivered or to be healed. It was God's plan for others to not necessarily experience that healing or that deliverance. So if these faithful believers, though they were faithful, yet God's will for their lives included much suffering. Again, reread that passage in Hebrews 11, okay? Being sawn asunder, being scourged, etc. If God's will for their lives included much suffering from which they were not delivered, why should we be any different? Why should we expect better than those Christians who have gone before us? Another example, of course, is Paul. Um, Turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will, 2 Corinthians 11, as Paul shares, summarizes some of what he had to endure as a faithful servant of God. Right? Hard to imagine anybody more, more faithful than Paul. And yet he was not spared Great suffering of all kinds. Second Corinthians chapter 11, he says in verse 24, Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Five times. Whipped. In verse um, 27, I'm sorry, verse 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day I have been in the deep. Now go down to verse 27. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. What kind of list is this? You know, when we think about the Christian life, you know, we like to think about, you know, victory and, and blessings and, and, you know, enjoyable moments. And we, we aspire to that, right? We, we long for those moments, and thankfully we get lots of them, but that's not all we are intended to get. 
God's most faithful servants had some incredible trials that they needed to face. In addition to that, we won't turn there now, but in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the the thorn in the flesh that he had, some kind of a physical ailment or condition. And um, had to be pretty serious because he pleaded with God three times for God to remove that. But no, it was not God's will to heal him from that particular condition. Rather, it was God's will for him to continue to suffer with that illness. Still another example, Epaphroditus. We'll come back and talk about this man later, but another faithful servant of the Lord became so sick he almost died. And Paul is careful to explain in Philippians chapter 2, we'll go back later and look at the passage, but in Philippians 2, Paul explains that it was for the work of Christ that he became extremely sick, was knocking on death's door. And yet he was smack dab in the center of God's will. Now, in that case, God did eventually heal him, but not before he was despairing of life. And of course, the ultimate example is our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Acts 2, please. Acts chapter 2. And of course, we know all that the Lord endured, all that the Lord went through, all that the Lord suffered for us, for our salvation. But notice what it says in Acts chapter 2 concerning the suffering that he faced. Acts 2, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it." All that the Lord experienced, every strike of the whip, every punch from a Roman soldier, every one of those thorns that pierced his head and his brow was part of God's determinate counsel, part of God's specific will for him to face. Jesus' suffering was truly at the very center of God's will. And as Jesus himself stated in the context of suffering, in John 15, 20, he mentions suffering in that context. He then says, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Now, should we expect, according to what Jesus says, should we expect a pain-free life if that was not the experience of our Lord and Savior? So, Again, stated possibly, uh, positively, sickness, illness, injury is indeed at times part of God's very will for us. Another way to consider this. In the notes, again, it's written, we waste our illness if we see it as a curse rather than a blessing. Or stated positively, illness is a blessing, not a curse. So, it's one thing for maybe us, for us to accept the idea that 
illness and suffering can be a part of God's will. That's already a pretty big step. It's like, okay, I, I, I get that. I can see that. But to say that illness is a blessing rather than a curse? Well, let's take some examples again. Joseph, as we mentioned earlier, after all that he had been through, and that young man from the age of 17 suffered tremendously for 13 years. He summed up those years of suffering in this way. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, You thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant all the suffering that he went through. God meant it for what? For good. He understood that there, there was a blessing in all that he had to endure, all that he had to suffer. Psalm 118. Let's turn there, please. In Psalm 118. Again, just a, it's a surprising statement. I, it surprises me still every time I read it because it's not, it's not the way we think. But Psalm 119. Psalm 118, verse 67. And then we're going to skip down to verse 71. Verse 67. Psalm 118, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, okay, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Wow. So the psalmist got to the point where he could say, in fact, it was good. Now, we don't know what kind of affliction he's talking about here, but whatever the affliction was, he could say, in the final analysis, it was good. God, is, God has a way of turning what seemed to be disastrous situations and, and again, painful and, and even unwelcome situations. He has a way of turning it to good. And he does. And illness is part of that. Of course, there's the well-known verse in Romans 8.28, that many of us know by heart. But the text states quite emphatically again, it says, for we know, hmm, for we know, do you know this? For we know that all things, that's the key right there, all things, not just good health, but also poor health. Not just prosperity, but also moments of want. That all things work together for... What's the word? Hmm. That, theme keeps, that word keeps popping up, doesn't it? <laughs> for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. That is, those who are perfectly in the center of God's will, called according to His purpose, they love the Lord... He says, all things, including, therefore, those things which are not pleasant, are still good. And so, it is wrong. It is wrong to see your illness as a curse rather than as a blessing. God says it is good that we should be afflicted. All things work together for good. He says, Paul, going back to the physical ailment that he had, that thorn in the flesh. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the conclusion that Paul comes to 
After having asked the Lord to remove it, and there's nothing wrong with that, there's nothing wrong for any of us to pray that God would grant healing, which again, He often does, but in those cases where He chooses not to, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Listen to what Paul says as he concludes the matter. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Glory in one's infirmities? I mean, honestly, I, you know, I do, and I know a lot of folks folks here do it as well, make visits to people in the hospital. It's not very often that on their hospital bed, people make the statement, you know, I I glory in this infirmity. (laughs) Right? Most of them, it's like, I cannot wait to get out of here. You know, I can't wait to get well. I can't wait to not feel pain anymore. We understand that. I'm I'm not... you know, minimizing the, the human experience that we all... But to have another perspective on illness, like Paul came to realize. Because the Lord says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So the best way to experience God's strength, to experience the fullness of what God's trying to accomplish in our lives, is when we are weak. Not when we're well. Not when our health is, you know, is strong. Again, James. Turn to James chapter 1, please. James chapter 1. James explains why illnesses should be viewed as a blessing. Now, he uses the word tribulations or trials just to englobe all the different things Christians can experience. Illnesses would certainly be part of that. Injuries would be part of that. Surgeries would be part of that. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4, 2 to 4, rather. James 1, verses 2 to 4. Notice what he says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire wanting. There's that word perfect again. For God's God's work to be made perfect in us, complete in us, there needs to be tribulations, trials, suffering. That's, That's part of God's plan. These various trials that we experience, including illness and injury, are a blessing because they are meant to grow us. That's what he says. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work in you. Now, there's other reasons why illnesses are also a blessing. In some cases, the illnesses are a form of chastisement to bring us back to himself. We read the passage every time we have communion in 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks, warns believers to not take of the cup and of the bread unworthily. He says, because some having done that have become sick, and some, it says, even sleep, have died. 
So illness was a result of some Christians not being careful in their walk and, and, and taking the Lord's Supper in a flippant way or in a disrespectful way or with sin, you know, unconfessed sin in their life. And the Bible says God uses that to, to, to wake us up, to, bring us, to make us conscious of the fact that we need to get right with Him. There's something we need kind of... And the text says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Look at Hebrews uh, chapter 12 talking about this chastisement that God brings into our lives at times. Hebrews 12, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Go down to verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So there are some cases, not every case, but there are some cases where God allows illness to, to get our attention because there's something in our spiritual walk that's lacking, something that needs to be dealt with, something that needs to be confessed. And the Bible says that that's a, that's a good thing. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness when we're exercised by it, when we allow it to be a positive um, experience in our life. And go to James now, please. Go back to James, rather. Chapter 5. We're again talking about illness. He makes it clear again that this, there are times when illness can be tied to some, um, some sin, again, some unrepented sin. James chapter 5, in verse 15. So after it says in verse 14, if somebody's sick, let them call the elders to pray over them, etc. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So we know that the Lord is able to raise us up from our illness, but it ties it in some cases. It says, if you have committed sins, if that happens to be the case, God will forgive him. Then verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so, again, God sometimes allows illness as a form of chastisement, but for our good, to exercise us unto righteousness. And so that's a very positive thing, something for which, again, we ought to be very thankful. All right, let's go back to another reason then, another part of this new perspective of looking at illness. Number three, in the notes, we waste our illness if we find our only hope is in the possibility of being healed. Okay, stated otherwise, healing is not our only hope, okay? Healing is not our only hope. First of all, it is not always God's will to heal us in this body, okay? Um, Jesus didn't heal everyone. In Matthew chapter 8, we're not going to turn there right now, but it says, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. So after he had healed a certain number of people, the next day these throngs were coming to him, undoubtedly with sick people among them. And for whatever reason, it wasn't his will at that moment to stay. And so they departed the other side. He left this multitude of people, including whatever illnesses and sicknesses were present without healing them. Paul refers to Timothy as having some kind of a stomach issue. It's that famous verse that, People like to quote to justify drinking alcohol, which is truly taking a verse out of the context. But he says, make use 
of a little wine for your stomach's sake. And he says, and for your frequent infirmities. So Timothy was frequently sick, according to that passage. And we know Timothy was a very faithful servant of God, serving as a pastor, and yet he was often sick. And God did not choose to take that sickness from him. Paul talks about another servant, a co-worker rather of his, uh, Trophimus. If you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, one of those <coughs> references that we could just read quickly and skim over and not even think about it. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul makes this comment. He says, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. And again, we know that Trophimus was one of Paul's co-workers, um, a faithful servant of the Lord. And yet here, Paul leaves, and we don't know what became of Trophimus, if he eventually healed or not. But at the time when Paul left, he was still sick. God had not chosen to heal him. Epaphroditus that we referred to earlier, and we'll go back to him again, but when he became sick, his sickness became so serious, as we said, he was almost he almost died from it. There was no immediate healing anyway for Epaphroditus. <clears throat> and then, of course, the ultimate example, our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Luke 22. I know this is a familiar text, but Luke 22, verse 42. This is very instructive when we do pray for healing. Luke 22, verse 42. It is perfectly legitimate, biblical, <laughs> biblical, that's a good one, <laughs> uh, biblical and Christ-like to pray as our Lord prays. Luke 22, verse 42, he says, Father, if it be thou will, I'm sorry, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so while it's perfectly legitimate, like even asks to uh, alleviate the suffering or to avoid uh, suffering. And so, as we would pray and ask God to heal ourselves or someone else, perfectly legitimate. But our prayer ought to also include, if it's your will, Lord, because it may be your will for me or someone else to continue being sick. It may be, Lord, that you have something else in this sickness for that person that you're going to allow it and you're not going to heal them. And so, God, in that case, let me or the other person experience whatever it is, that fullness of grace or that fullness of blessing that you're trying to accomplish in their life or that, that you're trying to teach them or trying to teach me. Lord, accomplish your work. May it be perfect. May it be complete through this illness, Lord. That is a legit, that is a biblical way to pray. Now, it's true that the world finds its comfort in the possibility of some immediate and visible relief. And that's where I think a lot of times we just, we get so influenced, you know, by just the, the mindset of the world around us that we can kind of fall into the same perspective. Psalm 20 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in their pharmacist. But we... Oh, it's not, that's not quite, is it? <laughs> Something like that anyway. No, it says, Some trust in chariots and others in horses. But... It's true. For some Christians, they trust in their pharmacist, right? Or in their doctor to get them well. 
And when the doctor doesn't help them, they come out frustrated. If they don't get the results that they hope for or don't get them when they want, they come out frustrated. If the medication they take doesn't make them feel better, maybe even complicates things, they get frustrated because maybe their hope was in the wrong thing. Now, I'm not saying we don't go to the doctor. I'm not saying we don't take medicine the doctor prescribes. But the text says, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Our trust ultimately is not in that doctor, in that pharmacist. Our trust ultimately is in the Lord. He is in control. And so when he chooses not to heal us, or at least not as quickly as we would desire, it is his will. If we're walking with him, called according to his purpose, then he's working that for our good. And we can consider it a blessing. Again, one of God's purposes in sickness is to remove our human crutches as he desires for us to lean only on him. Second Corinthians, if you will. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9. Paul, again, after we've already read the things that he experienced, right? The suffering he went through. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 1, 9. He says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. All right, so it was so bad at times, he was convinced this is it. Okay, we're not, we're not pulling out of this. We're not getting better, okay? We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raises the dead. So Paul recognized that one of the reasons that God allowed those moments of suffering in his life was so that he would learn to lean only, truly, on the Lord. And as God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Whatever it was that Paul was experiencing, God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And dear friend, that is true for every one of us. No matter what the road is that God takes us down, And no matter what the suffering might look like that we might experience at some point in our lives or points in our lives, God's grace is sufficient. Yet another point to make. Again, in the notes, we waste our illness if we refuse to consider and accept the possibility, the inevitability of death. Say that otherwise we must accept the reality of death. Indeed, barring the rapture, Okay, I think it was a pastor this morning that made that comment, you know, we're all going to die. But we need to take this distinct possibility to heart and not fear death. Psalm 116, a surprising verse. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, how many people in the world would say that? We as believers, it's not the way we would naturally think, but that's the way God wants us to think. Again, we read earlier in 2 Corinthians about how we groan in this tent, aspiring for, looking to the day when we take off, put off mortality and put on immortality. 
It says, for we desire to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, that's the ultimate hope, right? And so this is a fundamental truth that we need to accept if we're to gain wisdom, the Bible says. It's a key to gaining wisdom. In uh, Psalm 90, a very familiar passage where Solomon prays. No, I'm sorry, it's Moses, isn't it? Moses wrote Psalm 90. But he writes and says, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. And then Ecclesiastes, if we would turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Again, this is, this is just not the way we think, all right? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 2, which states, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. You know, again, I don't know about you. I know, I, know, I know some people that do not go to funerals. They just, they don't want to be there. <laughs> they don't want to see a dead person. They don't want to think about death. They don't want to be around people who are mourning. Yet the Bible says it's better for us to go into the house of mourning than to the house of feasting because that's where we're all headed. And so we better have the right perspective on death. And of course, the only right perspective, right, comes from this book because God tells us the end of the story, which changes the whole story then. And changes our perspective. Where we can understand that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yet another part of this perspective. In the notes it says, we waste our illness if we allow it to shut us up in solitude rather than to use it to deepen our relationship with others. Or put positively, we should deepen <clears throat> our relationships with others. <clears throat> Going back one more time to this example of Epaphroditus, we've referred to him several times. Let's go to Philippians 2 now. Philippians 2, to look more specifically at what uh, Epaphroditus experienced and how he responded to it. Philippians chapter 2, um, this Epaphroditus had gone to Rome to minister to Paul, who was in prison at the time. And while he was there in Rome, ministering to Paul, he became sick, deathly sick. And before he became sick, it seems like it was his desire to stay still longer with Paul and to continue serving him there in Rome. Look at chapter 2, verse 25. Paul says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. So Paul found it necessary at some point to tell Epaphroditus, really, you really should go back to your hometown and to the believers back there, even though apparently Epaphroditus would have stayed on longer to continue serving Paul. Look at verse 30. It says, Paul says, because for the work of Christ... He was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. And so, again, it was, he was right in the midst, right in the middle of God's will. He was doing God's work, 
when he became so sick, he almost died. And yet during that time, Epaphroditus thought about others rather than being focused on himself. It's really an interesting thought here. In verse number 20, Paul makes the comment about how few Christians that were around him truly thought about others. And he says in verse 20, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. So he's saying, you know, so many people just, you know, they're caught up in themselves and their own issues, whatever. He says, aren't many that are really mindful of others and serving others? He said, but Epaphroditus, he's one of them. Okay, he really truly thinks about other people. And notice how he does that in verse 26. It says, for he longed after you and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. So it weighed on Epaphroditus, it bothered him that the believers back in his home city of Philippi had heard that he'd become sick. And it bothered him to think that they were worried for him. Isn't that interesting, right? (laughs) I mean, again, a lot of times, you know, it's, again, perfectly natural, good that we would ask people to pray for us when we're sick. But a lot of times we broadcast our sickness is pretty easy. Epaphroditus felt bad that his sickness got out and that people were worried about him, even though it was a very serious illness. But he he was so mindful of others, so concerned about others. Fundamentally, he had the attitude... Oh, I got behind my notes there. He had the attitude of a servant. And so whether he was healthy or whether he was sick, his thought was for others. And his desire was to serve others. Again, notice in verse 21, Paul says, For all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. That's a pretty powerful statement for Paul to make. All seek their own and not the things of Christ. I mean, the question really that we all ask ourselves right away, wow, do I, am I truly mindful of things of Christ? Is that my focus in my life? Or do maybe I fall in that category of those who seek their own, perhaps too much so. But for, for Epaphroditus, he was of the cloth that, no, he was mindful of what Christ wanted, and so he was looking to serve others. Verse number 30 again, it says, because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. He, he was so involved in the Lord's work that it made him sick and almost cost his life. So while Epaphroditus was sick, it didn't keep him from being mindful of others and serving others. No, to the contrary, he, con- he became even more mindful of others. And if it was up to him, he would have stayed even longer to serve Paul. Once again, the ultimate example of serving others is our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 20, 28, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And that's what he did. Even in the most excruciating moments of his life. Just to remind us, when he was on the cross, Luke 23, 34, first thing he did, he prayed for those who were causing him that pain mindful of others, looking for the well-being. As he was being tormented beyond what we can imagine, he prayed, he was praying for the good of others. Not only that, also in Luke, it tells us about that exchange he had with the one uh, thief, the one criminal who repented and called out to him and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord responds to him, And says, verily, I say to thee, this day you shall be with me in paradise. And so 
as he's suffering and dying, he still seeks to give assurance of salvation to the sinner that's on the cross next to him. That's not all. While he's still on the cross, he directed one of his disciples, John, to care for his mother, saying, Son, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. And it says, from that day forward, John took Jesus' mom home to take care of her. Mindful of others, serving others while he's hanging on a cross. So yes, when we're sick, it's not a time to, to shut the world out, to fall into self-pity, to become consumed with the, the suffering that you're experiencing. Again, I am not minimizing in the least whatever suffering you might be facing. But God's grace is sufficient and can allow us to be mindful of others and continue serving others even when. While we were missionaries, we had the remarkable blessing of being associated with a number of churches which supported our ministry. And one of them was a church here in Pennsylvania. And the pastor, a man of God, lost his wife while we were on the mission field. She had been sick for a while with cancer, and eventually she lost that battle to cancer, passed away. The day, on the day that she passed away, he sent out a letter to the missionaries that their church supported, us being one of them. He sent out a letter to encourage us. The day his wife passed away. Yeah, I think he took to heart Jesus' example. Came not to be served, but to serve. And again, point number six, we waste our illness if we miss the opportunity that it offers to be a witness for Christ. Stated positively, it is an opportunity. Illness is an amazing opportunity for witness in lots of different ways. First of all, by glorifying God, and the word glorify means to celebrate, to magnify, to exalt, to praise by glorifying God before men, even while we are suffering. Illness, injury, loss, whatever it might be. Look at Job's testimony in Job chapter 1, a story we know very well now after Pastor did such an excellent job preaching through this book. But in Job chapter 1, kind of sets the tone for the whole book, right? Job chapter 1, verse number 20, after all that... Um, Job was experiencing all the loss that he experienced. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. Worshipped? He just lost his family. Lost his livelihood. Fell down and worshipped. Verse 21. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. The Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not. Wow, again, is that our experience? You know, we experience some trial, we experience some illness, we experience some loss to fall down and worship. Say, Lord, you've given and you've now chosen to take away. Blessed be your name. You are in control, God. You are in control, and you are able to make, turn the situation and bring good out of what seems to be such a catastrophic situation. 
David's testimony. Look at Psalm 57. Psalm 57, as David shares his heart while going through great challenges and trials and suffering. In Psalm 57, verses 1 and 2, David says, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be, oh, sorry, I'm sorry. If you notice the, the subtitle to the psalm, it says, To the chief musician, when uh, this is a psalm of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. All right, so he's, he's fleeing for his life. He's hi- living in a cave. All right. He says, verse number one, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Oh, we've saw that before. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He doesn't minimize what he's experienced. He calls them calamities. Okay, these were serious matters that David was, was experiencing. But he throws himself upon God, recognizing God as his only refuge. His trust was in God. Go down to verses 7 and 9. He continues and says, I'm sorry, verse number 9 rather. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. So in the midst of calamities, living in a cave and fleeing for his life, he writes this psalm and says, God, I praise you. I praise you before the nations. I want other people to know that you are sufficient. Your grace is sufficient, God. Paul, in prison, writes to the Philippians, and notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 20. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it by life or by death. Paul says, it doesn't matter. He said, I, yeah, if I have a choice, I'm going to prefer life. If I have a choice, I'm going to prefer health. But God's in control. He chooses. And so whether God chooses health or illness, whether he chooses life or death, he says, my desire, my concern is that God should be magnified in my life. In the midst of suffering, in the middle of prison, when he wrote that, Of course, one of the most striking examples is when Paul and Silas, in the middle of God's will, preaching the word of God as missionaries, were arrested, beaten, thrown, put in the stocks, thrown into the inner prison. And there, while they're bruised, bleeding, in pain, immobile, unable to sleep, seemingly forsaken, what do they do? They sing praises unto God. And the text even specifies, and all the other prisoners heard them. They were being bashful about it. In the midst of their suffering, singing in the middle of the night, they couldn't sleep anyway, I guess so, but middle of the night singing praises to God, making it known that God's grace is sufficient, making it known that God is in control, making it known that God is good even when he allows suffering in my life. That, dear friends, is the most powerful testimony a Christian could set before the world. It's easy to praise God when we're healthy and all of our needs are met 
and we have a good job and a wonderful wife and, and, and nice kids. But just like Satan said to God, but take away some of those things. See if Job will still praise you then. Job passed the test. Paul passed the test. Epaphroditus passed the test. Do we? What is our attitude when we become sick? What is our attitude when we're going through trial and it's, we don't see the end of it? What is our attitude when we go to the doctor and it's not the diagnosis, the prognosis that we desire to hear? How do we respond? Again, by demonstrating the power of God to others. Uh, when Jesus came across the man that was born blind, he said, This man was born blind that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So here's a man that all of his life, from his birth, had struggled with blindness. And Jesus says that God allowed that to happen so that the works of God would be made manifest in him. One of the reasons that God allows illness in our lives is to show the reality of God's presence, the reality of God's strength in our lives. It's to show the world that God is sufficient. It's to show the world that we can trust him, no matter what our situation is. And he's worthy of that trust. Again, in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul was talking about his physical ailment and praying for it and so forth, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, Paul. We can demonstrate to a skeptical world that the grace of God is truly sufficient if our attitude is different from those around us. Again, we can also reflect the character of Christ in the middle of suffering. Going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you will please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul, again, coming back to the theme of much of what he had experienced and the sufferings that he had known. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, notice how he describes his attitude, his mindset, his perspective during that time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Wow, what a tremendous outlook. What a, a life-changing perspective to embrace in the midst of such suffering. And so, if you are currently feeling discouraged because of whatever suffering or afflictions that you might be going through, or whatever trials you might be facing, whatever illness you might be experiencing right now, not only is it incredibly uh, uplifting to read these words in the Scriptures, but we have modern-day testimonies of people who also testify that the Grace of God is sufficient. If you've never read, I would encourage you to read the story of uh, Johnny Erickson, a woman who, when she was a teenager, had a diving accident, became paralyzed from the neck down. Young, young teenage woman, whole life ahead of her, 
became paralyzed. Nobody, no doctor could, could heal her. God chose not to heal her. And yet she has been used in a tremendous way as she speaks uh, to multitudes, writes books, paints with a paintbrush in her, between her teeth. If you want to write this name down, I would encourage you to look up on YouTube video of a man named Nicholas Vujicic. It's spelled V-U-J-I-C-I-C. Nicholas Vujicic is the way you pronounce it, I think. He was a man born without arms and without legs. Just to, just to see him. It's a, it's a frightful thing it's to imagine that anybody could be born and go through their whole life without arms and without legs. He became a Christian, and now he travels as a speaker, a motivational speaker. Can you imagine that? Motivational speaker to encourage others because the grace of God is sufficient. By proving to, uh, I'm sorry, by pointing people to the God of all comfort, comfort by showing compassion to those who suffer because of how God comforted us. That's what Second Corinthians says. Finally, by proving to the world that our hope as children of God is in something far better than anything this world has to offer. We read earlier the passage in Second Corinthians chapter 4 that we're not looking at this temporal thing. We know that this body is perishing, but our mindset is on what's eternal. Looking forward to the day when we're absent of this body and present with the Lord. And finally, by sharing with others the saving power of the gospel. If you turn to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians 1, again, Paul's in prison when he writes this letter. But he says in Philippians 1 verse 12, But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened to me, talking about the sufferings, the trials, the tribulations, the things that happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace, the royal palace, okay, and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In prison, in pain, suffering, Paul continued to preach the word and encouraged others to do so by his example. How many Christians can say what he says in verse 12? That what has happened to me has fallen rather to the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel was furthered because I was sick. The gospel was furthered because I was in the hospital. Because even though I was suffering, even though I did not feel well, even though this, this illness weighed upon me, I realized this was an opportunity to share the gospel. One of the missionaries that we were privileged to know in France. His name is Jean-Jacques Shalichenko. For years now, and years, has been battling cancer and little by little losing the battle. And there are days where he just has no strength, when he just can't even get out of bed. And, and yet, every time as he needs to go see another doctor, go through another treatment, every time he's sharing Christ with them. And he's always, he's regularly asking for prayer. Please pray for this particular doctor. Please pray for this nurse. She came into my room for a short time to, to take care of my bandages or whatever. And so I had the opportunity to share the gospel with her. And he's all excited. He's suffering. He can't even get out of bed. 
And he's praising God for the opportunity to share the gospel in that context. And so as we conclude, we should have the same mindset as Paul did in Romans chapter 1. If you would turn there to, to finish the study here tonight. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 14, Paul makes again a, a surprising statement. It wouldn't be something you and I would think of without him having said it. But Romans 1, 14, he says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are also at Rome. We indeed should have the same mindset as Paul. He considered himself a debtor to others. When he talks about the Greeks and the barbarians and the wise, and the way, he's basically including everybody. <laughs> Do we see ourselves as debtors to our coworkers and neighbors, to our mailman and our store clerk, to our doctors and our nurses, so that as much as is within us, we might preach the gospel to them? Do we believe that we have something better to offer them than what the world does? Paul was convinced of that. And that's why he says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth. Friends, let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And even more so, when we find ourselves in moments and times of suffering, even when we're laying in that hospital bed and maybe didn't receive really good news. That is the moment God has chosen for you to be a special witness for Him to those people that are in your sphere right then that maybe some of us would never be able to reach otherwise. But He placed you there as His witness, a debtor to those around you, recognizing that those illnesses that you're, that you're experiencing are part of God's will that God desires to bring good out of that, that He wants you to be able to trust Him and to glorify Him in the midst of your illness and to point others to Christ through it. That's a pretty different perspective than what the world has on the question of illness, isn't it? And maybe a different perspective than a lot of Christians have, but it ought to be our perspective. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, uh, 